Welcome back to Cornhusker Connection. I'm Brandon Shanahan, joined live. Uh, two fellows are together, Tyler Sprinkle and Brooke Byrne. Uh, you know, I, I wrapped up the, the last show last week with, you know, the next time that we talk, college football could look entirely different. I kind of meant that as a joke, like, hey, you know, everything's changing. Uh, I was, yeah, I was spot on. Everything's different now. Um, Washington and Oregon are now going to the Big Ten as soon as next year. And then as that news kind of became official, it was a weird timeline because I woke up and I basically have Brett McMurphy on his notifications on at this point. Um, so he had noted that early that Friday morning that there was some momentum. Oregon and Washington were, were back at the table with the Pac-12, and they were meeting to ideally sign the grant of rights agreement with Apple and keep the conference together. And then like an hour later, he's like, oh, yeah, just kidding. That shit fell through, and it's over now. Um, and then so as soon as that happened, Arizona had kind of had some juice that they were going to go to the Big 12. Um, and then after everything fell apart, Arizona State and Utah both very reluctantly um, decided to, to join the Big 12 as well. So the Pac-12 is dead. Um, it was nice while it lasted. Um, just a, a, a true failure over the last 10 years or so. It's it's kind of remarkable to see. Sad because I all of this is very sad for college football, I think, on, a, on an internal level. But uh, it, it is kind of interesting to watch something as strong as a, as a whole football conference just collapse upon itself. Yeah, it's not it's not in a great spot right now, uh, but it's fun. Uh, I think we're all having fun, except for maybe the Pac-12. Um, it's it's fun to see changes in something that's been around for so long, but it's also sad to see something that's been around for uh, how long has the Pac-12 been around? 80, 90, 100 yeah, years? For, forever, I think. <laughs> it's crazy that uh, seeing something that old in America change. So maybe this is a step in the right direction for uh, other things to change. And if we're being honest, this is all just a big money grab. So like Tyler said, I'm sad to see the Pac-12 go, but I'm super interested to see where the rest of college football goes is the ACC next to crumble. Are they going to get stronger? What conferences going forward is the committee going to view as power five and get one of those auto bids and just whatever the next domino is to fall. Yeah. I would imagine that the next step would be the ACC, but it seems like they're just so locked into that TV deal that there's not a whole lot that anybody can really do. It seems like that there was some chatter about them adding some schools, but at this point there's no real value to be added. Uh, I know they were in talks with Stanford and Cal, which is very silly to me that those would be the schools in the athletic or Atlantic coastal conference. Um, SMU is probably as, I might be the biggest loser out of all this because they come off so desperate. They asked the ACC, hey, if you add us on, you don't have to give us any money for like five to seven years. We just want to we just want to be invited. And the ACC still was like, no, no, thank you. So I thought that was hilarious. Um, but that seems like the, the next kind of domino to fall because Clemson and, and Florida State, like we mentioned last week, are not happy with what's going on there. But they're, they're kind of stuck through seems like the next decade and and there's going to be so much change and so much disparity between them the big 10 and the sec that i it's it's tough to imagine them being able to kind of stick around well two things there is i think 
I mean, isn't Florida State probably going to go independent like Notre Dame? Like them and their Saudi money? I don't know. Well, I think that the Saudi money, and I'm not 100% sure how I, – I, I'm very unfamiliar with how that whole financial situation works, but it, I would imagine that would be kind of the, the opportunity to buy out of the ACC contract and trying to raise money for that. Because they, in theory, they could leave the conference as is, but the ACC still has all the broadcasting rights, so they don't have any any other leverage. So it wouldn't matter if they did leave that's the true. conference. But yeah, that's the only thing. Um, I think that's, I don't know, maybe Florida State will sell their golf team to live, and maybe that may, may, might make that golf, golf league slightly interesting. But that that would be crazy. And I mean, you know, they're always looking to get into American sports. So we'll see. Yeah. Two other things I had is one, I'm surprised that everybody left the Pac-12 like they did because, as Brooke mentioned, the auto bids. Like, if you stick around, one of those teams, like you're once you leave or once you lose USC and UCLA, then it's kind of like up for grabs. I mean, Oregon is still there at the time. Oregon was still there; they were still pretty good. But other than that, you have a good chance to make college football playoff like every year. So I'm surprised that they left the way that they did. Obviously, it's more about the TV rights and the money. Um, and I understand that, but it's just interesting that they're looking for more money instead of you know, potential playoff berths. And then another thing is um, the Pac-12, or no, I'm sorry, the Big Ten, they signed their TV rights deal already, right? So this they won't be able to renegotiate. I think towards the end of the decade is when it's coming up. It's a pretty short deal, but very lucrative. So why not? Why I, I guess I'm not too sure the money wise because it's um it's the same pot that's being split even further and further. So I'm surprised that they didn't wait a little bit longer, get the Apple TV money, and then make sure that all the Big Ten teams and all the Big Twelve teams still got their share. And then later, once it got closer to the the negotiating new deal, they came in that way. So that's interesting to me. Well, and it's interesting because Oregon and Washington aren't getting full shares of this Big Ten deal. I, I think they're getting probably, I think it's like 30, 30 something million dollars a year. So they're not getting the full, they're getting their full slice. But, uh, and, and you're not wrong with the way that the current playoff is is formatted with the six auto bids. There, there was still some life in that conference. But I think for those teams that left for the Big 12, you can kind of say the same thing in that conference because with Oklahoma and Texas leaving, that conference is going to be pretty up for grabs. I mean, I think they've had three different champions the last three years, so they're going to be up for grabs. Um, and then you get that kind of security. And the, uh, I mean, the fact of the matter is being on network television is always going to be more visibility than the, the streaming service. Um there's certain perks to the streaming service for sure, but I think just lo looking long term, I, I think they made the right move. And even Oregon and Washington, even though they're not getting the full share this year, they're really just securing the, their yeah. future long term. Like the Big Ten's not going anywhere. Yeah, um, so that I, I think that's kind of the, the big the big goal is like, well, we could probably make it work for this TV contract. We could probably you know wait to see how how things fold with with some of the other expiring deals, see if we can add more value to the conference, or we can jump ship to a conference that's already pretty locked in and already in, in a good shape to, to, to last going forward. So it's like we could be in the same boat five years from now, or we can kind of just 
get our, our lifeboat now. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm just looking in to see how much each team was set to make last year on the TV rights deal. Um, I'm just, I don't know, that, that money aspect of it is very interesting to me. And as you said, like obviously people are just trying to get in when they're invited. <laughs> so I, I, I get that part of it as well. Um, I don't know. I guess strike when the iron's hot because I guess the Pac-12 could have looked a lot differently in four or five years. Like they could have been thriving because I know the Pac-12 commissioner was like, oh, yeah, we're going to take this Apple TV deal, but we can get out of that in a couple of years if we want to. So, like, we're not worried about it. So I guess it could have looked a lot different um, by the time things actually set up for the Big Ten to actually receive these guys. So, yeah. I guess yeah, there's was- definitely – Definitely a path. Um, I, I know there are some folks on Twitter saying, well, if they lose Colorado and add San Diego State, they're probably coming out net positive, which I don't think is true, but it is not out of out of, out of this world. But yeah, it all just kind of hinged on, on Oregon and, and Washington being, especially now that they're back to being good at football, allegedly, that <laughs> that you know dr- drives the boat. More allegedly for, for Washington, we'll, we'll see how how they do and if they can stick around. But yeah, I, I saw in an article on CBS sports that did kind of mention that Oregon and Washington are objectively in a worse spot. Cause they're not getting a whole lot. They're not getting light program changing money in this deal. And then they're also in a position where it's going to be way tougher to, to make the college football playoff. Even before UCLA and USC left, that path seemed a lot clearer in the PAC 12 and then moving forward. Now you got to get to um, got to get through, Ohio State and Michigan and also USC and, and UCLA. And even with the expanded playoff, the SEC and Big Ten are only going to get two or three, maybe on a crazy year, four teams in the playoff. So, I mean, that's a way tougher path than, you know, what the four corner schools are going to have in the Big 12 or what they would have had in the Pac-12 if they had found a way to make that work. Yeah, and I I found it here. So with this new deal, then uh, this is before the acquisitions of all the teams. They were set to distribute 80 to $100 million per year to each of its members of the Big Ten, which is fucking insane. I mean, un- unimaginable <laughs> kind of money. Well, I, I mean, that's got to be close to double what they were making in the in the previous deal. And yeah, actually, if, yeah. yeah. And if the Ohio State year. and Michigan stay good, that money's only going to going to rise because that's what this whole thing is is contingent upon is well we want the rights to the ohio state michigan game yeah so as long as they stay good on the deal they distributed 54.3 million dollars and that was like the covid year so this is like you said almost double what uh, they were making before money talks man money talks a lot i mean good thing all these programs were just so poor before yeah i don't know saw what chip kelly had said in the news about what college football should do going forward but he essentially said everybody should be independent like notre dame and that got me thinking what if instead of like distributing 80 to 100 million a year tv deals were based off of games and like you know like ohio state michigan like would you would get buku bucks for getting that uh, TV game. Like, what if it broke down by game and like yeah, the willingness to want to watch that game? The way I I get what you're saying, that would be probably perfect in in both worlds for these teams that are good. But then you'd see smaller teams probably start to crumble. Um, 
or at least not have the same kind of resources that they do right now. Um, but to your point, the people that are really upset about this conference realignment stuff, they are saying that it's taking the um, regionality out of college football. So if you were able to sit there and say, yeah, our local networks are going to pay us to, to play our games, like that would make them happy. But also you probably would not be making as much money playing, you know, Nebraska versus Rutgers or Nebraska versus Southern Miss as you would, you know, a Michigan Ohio State game. Yeah. And I mean, even if it's just, just separating football, I think it would be the, the, the big move here. Cause I mean, when we talked about this last time, just the logistics of like a women's soccer team now having to travel a thousand miles for each and every conference game, except for UCLA, it, that doesn't seem very sustainable, but, and I don't know how, yeah, that w- makes my head hurt to think about every single game getting bid on by these networks. And especially as a fan of Nebraska, who's admittedly in a, in a pretty killer spot in, in the big 10. And I mean, even though, they do have a good brand also kind of writing the coattails on the, the money that Michigan and Ohio state are bringing in. That would be a, be a damper because now they got to produce their own value and maybe probably, I hope by this time that they're back in the fold of things and a more valuable brand than they are today. But I, I, I think Tyler was, was absolutely right. A lot of those schools that are benefiting like Minnesota, like Northwestern when they made the, the championship game a few years ago, like Illinois, who, you know, is, is in the fold in the big 10 West. I, those teams would just plummet in value. And then I think that the gap would get so big, but even if it's, you know, separating it out, kind of going back to the regional conferences for every other sport and then having football be its own beast and kind of keep these conferences as is, you know, because I also, you only play once a week. So as, yeah. as much as the, the logistics kind of get in the way, you can plan for it way better than, than you can when you're out two or three times a week. And that's what, Chip Kelly's point was was logistically like you can almost make anything work in college football only playing once a week, whereas you're hurting these other sports and hindering their chance to make money. So is the juice really worth the squeeze there? It's, I think what he was getting at for the other sports, but college football is your biggest moneymaker. So I feel that the other sports will get on how they can and do the best they can with it, but it'll look a lot different. One thing I do about that is, um, you know how people bitch about Alabama? Like, oh, it's week seven and they're playing FSU or uh, like some Division II school. I wonder if that would kind of push them to schedule like better games throughout the season so they're not missing out on as much money because – I mean, you're Alabama, you're going to be making money, but it, it can't be nearly as much as trying to buy the rights to a Georgia-Alabama game or an Alabama-Tennessee, you know, one of those rivalries. So that would be a cool part of it. Um, you get to see really good games all year. Um, so that would be cool. I think I would like that a lot. Yeah, that, that's not that's not a bad idea because you do have to really go into and create your own value. Um or you could just make the SEC play the same amount of conference games as everybody else, all the other conferences, even the group of five teams who play nine games a year. You could just make that happen for the SEC. But yeah, it is what it is. You see, like, a, a Georgia-Ohio State game week six, like, that would be, be crazy. Oh, my gosh. 
that'd be so cool. Well, there's kind of two, two, two lines of thought here. I'll, if you're looking at the bright side, all this change does create a lot of good, good matchups. Like we're going to get to see more Ohio State and Oregon and Michigan and Washington. And then there's also the other side of it. It's like, well, I mean, kind of the, the, the nice thing about college football is its obscurity in, in the sense that you get games like Michigan and Purdue and they're fucking gritty and ugly to watch and may, definitely not the sport's best product, but it's definitely, I don't know, it says something for, for the college football sickos watching Iowa and South Dakota State have a punt off and watching Dude. Iowa win by two safeties. That was electric. Say say what you want about those games, but those are fun to watch. They are awesome. And I mean, defensive games are are my favorite because every touchdown means so much more. Every safety, I guess Iowa gets all the safeties. They get so many safeties. I mean, those are electric, but I, and I I do fear that you'll lose some of that with this, with these bigger brands kind of driving the boat. Cause I, I think, you know, the, the successful model with as the NFL, like they're all kind of on an even playing field. They're all paying their players the same amount of money, roughly with the salary cap. And they're all, they're all playing the, the, the same game pretty much. And obviously you get teams like, like the chiefs recently who have found a cheat code in Patrick Mahomes and, and you get those outliers, but for the most part, the sport's so, so comparable team to team. And I think that what makes college football so beautiful is that you don't get that on a week to week basis as you do. And I, I think though, that's what makes those two products so unique and so special. Yeah. And back to the pac 12, one last thought on that for me is I'm very curious to see what happens to Stanford because no disrespect to Cal and Washington state and Oregon state. Stanford is a big name in college football. I mean, yeah, maybe not in the last couple of years, it kind of dipped down, but they're a big name school that is seemingly just left left out the dry. Like, so I wonder what, I'm sure they're going to get picked up by something or by, by a conference. Um, I'd love to see the remaining Pac-12 teams other than Stanford go to like the Mountain West. I think that would make it a fun conference to watch um, because yeah, they're not as good, but it's, I feel like it would be kind of on par with what the other teams in that conference so closer games, more interesting games. I think so. And it adds, and, and I, I think that's eventually what, where things are going to be is that they end up in the mountain West. And I think that's probably the best outcome college football wise, because now you also get two. well, in theory, you get two like really quality group of five schools or group of six schools or, or whatever, or conferences with them in the American athletic conference. Although I did just remember all the good teams in the American athletic conference are now in the big 12. So maybe not so much, but then you get these other teams in the mountain West, San Diego state, Colorado state, kind of get a bigger look and and a bigger piece of that pie. Maybe they're, they turn into the, you know, theoretical auto bid outside the the power conferences. So they're certainly not in horrible shape. I could also see Stanford going independent. Um, they kind of feel like they have that kind of cachet. Um, and they do provide a lot of value in like other sports as well. They're always winning the director's cup, which is weird. Cause I've never seen them win it anything ever, but they seem to win. So I, th- I think they have a lot of value. I think they're, they're usually pretty solid at basketball. Am I wrong? Standard. Yeah. They normally have a pretty solid basketball program. 
again, as of late, it hasn't yeah. been great. Yeah. <laughs> but so, yeah, they at least have other things going for them, like other sports teams. Whereas, I mean, Oregon State has baseball. Basketball not very good. Yeah, I mean, like softball, maybe. I don't know. They do but, have baseball. That yeah, baseball. They're they're <laughs> baseball. I know that. Um, and they're okay at football sometimes. Sometimes maybe good. Sometimes maybe shit. But it is kind of a bummer because they are starting to get some momentum football wise. Like ah, finally got a double digit win season. That's what Nebraska now we're in for years too. So they're probably it's not good. <laughs> they're probably fifteen years out. So I did prepare a little presentation for you fellas um, as far as kind of what I would do to, to kind of help with college football here. So if I can figure out how to share my screen, I'm saving college football. Holy Commissioner Shanahan been elected to, to save the sport that, that we love so much. Before Here's my plan. Into this, how long did, did you work on this? <laughs> An hour for sure. And and the, the very next slide is is where the, the bulk of the work comes into play, but um, I mean I this is my, my my crown jewel. So first up, I'm restructuring all the conferences. I don't know how we got in a place where we have Maryland and Oregon in the same conference, but I'm fixing it. I brought back the Big East, and I kind of had to divvy up those schools from the ACC. So the big East gets back Maryland and Rutgers because them in the big 10 never made any sense to me. So they're back in the big East. Um, they also get more. So the football brands, Louisville, Florida State, Miami, the ACC gets more of the basketball brands. They get Duke, North Carolina. They also get Kentucky. Uh, I don't think the SEC will miss them too much. The PAC 12 looks about right for this season, except they swap out BYU for Colorado. Um, I also know that Utah fans will hate that and Utah fans kind of stink. So I'm not too upset about hurting their feelings. The Big Ten's probably the big winner here. So they lose Maryland, Rutgers, and Nebraska, and they gain Michigan. Admittedly, I, I think once this was all done, I wish I would have put Notre Dame in the, the Big East to or the ACC to give them some more football branding, but I had already made the tier maker graphic, so it is what it is. Um, and the Big 12 is almost what it was um, before Nebraska and Colorado left. So they get Missouri back, they get Nebraska back, they get Colorado back. They Keep TCU. I think they're a good fit in the Big 12. Uh, and the SEC keeps Texas A&M. I don't think you could really swap those out for, for any good reason. Um, so the SEC keeps Texas A&M. They lose Kentucky. Other than that, they're the same. Uh, so I don't think that they're, they're they're hurting too bad. I don't think they're, they're crying over Kentucky. Is there any fit from what you see here that you would change as far as conference realignment goes? No. I, I love this. And what this overall tells me about you is you are like me in the fact that you're hurt about the original Big 12 breaking up when it did, all because of that stupid fucking Longhorn Network. Longhorn Network was such – it ruined college football for sure. And I was listening to one of the Barstool college football podcasts talk about it. This is honestly – the Longhorn Network set all of these like changes in motion where they didn't want to do like a big 12 network. So they're, they were like, screw you guys. We're going to do our own thing. And they thought it was going to be huge. People are going to watch it. They were going to make so much money. And then towards the end of it, they're just now showing Bebo like <laughs> as a live feed and it's doing horribly. 
So I saw that same clip that, that you did. And admittedly, I didn't know that they had Bevo live cams. That I, I would have tuned in more often if, if I had a Bevo live cam. Probably the most interesting thing on that network, honestly. That and them losing to Kansas in football. Those are the only those are the only two scenarios where I'd watch that network, and it's the same thing as like the the Pac-12 network and why that didn't go go great because it's not even like a standard cable channel, like the Big Ten network. The reason why I think it was so successful and the Big Ten's thriving in the way that it is is that it's just a, a standard channel, so yeah, you, like- you get all that extra exposure even for for the lower games that don't make the the cut for Fox or ESPN. You still get all these guys on TV that. It, uh, elevate the, the whole brand. I, I think that's huge for success of like Illinois and Minnesota is that they're they're on TV every week. Where you can't even say that about the the Big Twelve or the the Pac twelve. And I would even say the Pac twelve was a little more successful than the Longhorn Network. Whereas the Pac twelve, like the Longhorn, you could add it on to your cable subscription or whatever, but you still got a whole conference worth of stuff like. Like, even Texas fans have to get sick of just watching, you know, I don't want to say the dumber sports or the less interesting ones. But even, like, Pac-12 after dark, I would have no problem flipping on Oregon State, Washington, watching that at 9 p.m. Central Time, where I don't want to watch, you know, canoeing on the the Longhorn Network, so... Yeah, the Pac-12 almost had it right. They they almost they they got the content right. It's just the the distribution that yeah they did mess up. We're so that. close, and now they're they're dead. I also like how you just said, let's just go back to the way it was in 1999. Whatever, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. The the Big East, I I think in this form is way better than it was. The ACC, I don't think is too terrible that the, the big losers are are the acc and and the biggies because neither of those are very good conferences um but i mean I, I did my best no the they're not very good conferences for football but man that would be electric those conferences for basketball holy crap yeah you put syracuse kentucky duke north carolina those brands all in the same conference you would get a lot of viewers for that and and I think that's the the selling point is like yeah you you do because he I think you got to keep Florida State and Miami together, and if you can throw in Central Florida in the same conference, I think that adds a good mix to it. And if they're not in the, the if they're in the ACC, then it's way more lopsided than it is. So I I do think that's that's the selling point. It's like well, you are going to collect some 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 stuff on the back end when it comes to to winter time, albeit all three of those. Brands in North Carolina, Duke, and Kentucky seemingly falling down the, the poop shoe. But so I, I think if you do it right now, you can still get it in. To see, it just makes me so happy to see all these Big 12 teams together again. I miss the old Big 12 it just, so it, much. Put it in the fucking loop. Hang it up. <laughs> oh, hang man. it in. <laughs> I mean, it's – yeah, it's, it's just so much fun. And uh, like I said, you, you do miss out on, on some of these bigger matchups with like Nebraska and Ohio State and Michigan and blah, blah, blah. But you also get matchups with Oklahoma State and Kansas State and go down to Lubbock for, for an 11 a.m. kickoff. Go to Ames. I mean, it's it, it's the, the Big 12 is my favorite football conference. And the, the fact that Nebraska isn't in it anymore. Admittedly, 
how things have shaped up has worked out pretty well from a fiscal standpoint and, and a brand recognition standpoint, I think. But man, it's just a, a football sicko. It's it's the worst not having Nebraska in that conference anymore. And if if you're a football junkie like I think the three of us are, you all remember where you were for that Thursday night Nebraska Kansas State game where Taylor Martinez just absolutely put his nuts on the entire city of Manhattan, Kansas. What do you have like six? 40 yard rushing touchdown. Oh my god. It was crazy. I was like, dude, what's it gonna be like when he wins his second Heisman? <laughs> like, I mean, this one's already locked up. What's what's it gonna be like as a as a we fan? Were, we had anointed him the second coming of Jesus after that game. He's still my favorite still, Nebraska quarterback of all time. I still see clips of him throwing the ball, and I'm like, wait, who is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's not pretty. I mean, yeah, that part wasn't pretty. That part was not pretty, but man, could he fly? I, the, the, the big run against Wisconsin and the Big Ten I, Championship came up on my feet late, that, lately. That was crazy. I mean, he didn't and get I, touched. He ran 700 yards, didn't get touched. <laughs> Dude, I think ESPN did like a yards counter on the scramble, and it was like close to 200 on that one. <laughs> Just bonkers. Everything, well, almost everything else about that game stunk, but that yeah. in that moment, it was the vibes were high. Vibes were high. But so conferences are back to, to normal, back to how they're supposed to be, back to how everybody is happy. And then the conference schedules, I think, are, are going to be pretty uniform as well. So 12 games, nine conference games for each of the conference. Then I also want to schedule one of the non-conference games to be kind of how the NFL does it, where they match up based on where you finish in the standings. So fourth place team in the Big Ten plays the fourth place team in the SEC or so on and so forth. I'd also like to do that for the group of five because I think it's important to keep them relevant and to keep that gap between the power five and the group of five teams close. I don't know if the numbers are, are going to let that work. I'll let my deputy commissioner kind of <laughs> work that part out. But ideally, kind of, kind of the same thing. The, the top team in the Conference USA standings plays the top team in the, the Pac-12. They get more recognition um, and an opportunity to kind of show how the two conferences compare and, and, and so on and so forth. It, it keeps those games um, and then those teams more relevant than than I than I think they will going forward. And then of course you get the game to do kind of whatever you want. It can be a rival game. It can be a FCS team where you pay them a million bucks, um, so on and so forth. But the, the schedule's got to be the got to be somewhat uniform. Not not one conference plays this many conference games. This conference plays eight conference games, so on and so forth. It's it, it's got to be on a, on a more level plane. Even if. We didn't, you know, do your whole conference realignment thing, which is still a very good idea. I liked how that looked. But going forward with college football, what if the NCAA came in and said, these are the guidelines you have to follow for scheduling? And like you said, so just so we avoid Michigan, their three non-conference games are like Iowa School of the Blind, Hawaii, and a Division three school. Where it's like, if you think you're good, like you have to go improve it against another power five. You can schedule a group of five. And if you want to still help out a school who needs funding and do one of those pay to get your ass whooped kind of deals, you can still do that. But I, I really like the uniform schedule pitch. Yeah, there needs to be some sort of like set in stone guideline that every team needs to follow just to make sure that it's all the same for everybody. 
it's just crazy seeing the the college football slate in in November or it might even be December and seeing like Nebraska, Wisconsin and USC and Oregon and TCU and Oklahoma State and then Alabama and Georgia A&M. <laughs> like, and I, just, the way that they can manipulate their, their schedules, especially Alabama, because they always have a bye before the, the LSU game. They always have this cupcake before the the rivalry game with Auburn is just so set up for them to, to cruise. And it's, it's so silly to me. It It is dumb. And, you know, they're not breaking any rules by doing it, but it just really is annoying how they do it and when they do it. Cause like you said, they do it to make sure it's like a tune-up game, make sure everybody gets healthy. You know, you're not playing back-to-back super tough games where, in the Big Ten, like Nebraska's had some years where you're you're going Wisconsin, Ohio State, Iowa, and you know the fact that Alabama can you know tiptoe around two or three tough games in a row just to keep people healthier, their record in line is really annoying to me. Well, if you want to get real chaotic with it, you bring in a wheel, you put all the active players on every roster for each team. And you spin it, and the two players that are picked are out the next game. <laughs> and you Whoa. just do it one. You do it one time every season. See how good these teams actually are. Because hey, sometimes maybe your starting quarterback goes down, or maybe it's your long snapper, or maybe it's a star DB. I don't know. I think you want to get real wild with it. As as definitely the wildest idea I've heard. <laughs> So as far as the playoff goes, I want to keep that pretty similar to, to how it's going to be when they expand it to 12 teams. Um, only difference in the, the qualification is seven best conference champions instead of six, because now there's a six power conference in theory. And it still opens up the spot for the, the next other team, whether that's the, the conference USA champion or the AAC champion or, or how, however that shapes out. I like the fact that we can incentivize conference championships again. Because, gosh, this last slate of conference championship games were just so meaningless. Georgia could have lost and still made the playoff. Michigan could have lost and still made the playoff. TCU did lose and still made the playoffs. None of it mattered, and it stunk because those are supposed to be the conference's best play in each other. And I get that divisions kind of watered that down a bit. But nonetheless, it, it just felt like such a empty experience. that I, I think that's really important. Um, and then the other change that I want to make is... I want the number one seed to get a conference game or to get a, a playoff game on campus. I want to create even more incentive to be the number one team. So in a situation like Michigan and Georgia this year, you know that they're going to be one and two in the in the final rankings. But if Michigan had you know beaten Purdue like they did and Georgia struggled and showed some flaws against LSU, maybe they flip flop. And now Georgia has to you know play on a neutral site in, in their first game, and I think. That that's also important because I want to save the Rose Bowl for the national championship game. I'm fine with rotating the other New Year's five bowls, the Fiesta Bowl, Orange Bowl, Cotton Bowl, Peach Bowl, and Sugar Bowl for the playoff games. I think that makes it really exciting. Those create really good games for, for those bowl games. Um, and since this playoffs, players aren't opting out as much, ideally. Um, but with so much of college football tearing down tradition lately, I, I we're already losing the tradition of the Pac-12 and the Big Ten champion playing at the Rose Bowl every year. This gives the granddaddy of them all, to, to, to put it lightly, uh, an opportunity to still be 
a pinnacle part of of the college football playoff instead of just getting passed around like a bag of chips like it's it's probably going to end up being when it's just in the rotation with all the other bowl games for for playoffs and then they go to some random city every year for, for the national championship game so that's a r- really important to me is keeping the rose bowl and building a whole new tradition on top of one of the more prestigious um venues in in the game i'm not mad at that i totally agree with it makes sense to me rose bowl is my favorite just because of the parade of roses and like all the stuff that leads up to it and so many people tune into the rose bowl just because of the name so if you made that the national championship i feel like that would add even more hype to it but as you see, it is a money grab, and some of those other cities would not be happy. And I wish that was the way, you know, the way it was. But for sure. And I'd also like to preface: nobody's ever going to elect me commissioner of college football. I this is not the most profitable of situations. Um, you know, it makes way to make more money, and that's what what, what decision makers are going to default to. You have my vote. You have Thanks, my Tyler. <laughs> it makes a whole lot more sense than what we're seeing. And with people jumping from conference to conference now, I don't think anything's truly ever off the table. It's just kind of hold on to your pants and see what happens. For sure. And I think that, yeah, that that's all that I had. If you guys were conference or uh, commissioners of college football, are there any changes minus Tyler's wheel of death? What would you like to, to see implemented and 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 changed with, with the game that's changing so quickly? Well, with my rule, um, I'll add that you can protect five players on your roster. <laughs> I feel like that defeats the purpose of it. You can protect one person on your roster. Your most important player has to play it. But, I mean, say you get, like, two of our star offensive linemen went down. Yeah. Is there a limit on how many times you can protect a player? Um, so, you would get told that your roster's up for the Wheel of Death this week. So okay, it so it's not an every week kind of thing. Per season. Interesting. Okay. BJ Byrne, anything you'd like to add as far as college football changes? You know, my mind is spinning with some of this stuff. So, I mean, I might need a week to comprehend everything you just said to us. All right, we fine. We'll be good. Well, I don't need to be that big. All right, we're back. So now I also wanted to add real quick, just kind of an update on the, the Iowa gambling thing. It seems like more people are, are going down by the by the day, including – a defensive tackle for Iowa who bet against the Cyclones in a game last year had Texas money line, which I think even the more player friendly and and freedom friendly takes that we had last week. Certainly this is the worst case scenario um, betting on your team to lose it insane to me. I think the NCAA is going to destroy the Iowa state football program. I hope they do it to Iowa as well, selfishly, but I, I I think they're toast. (laughs) Dude, I, I called that one out last week. I said, if you were watching that game live, it just felt like Iowa State was trying to lose that game. And 
Texas played so horribly. They probably should have lost that game by two or three touchdowns. Quinn Ewers was horrible. And it was it was even I think Deckers missed their star wide receiver Hutchison or I don't know, missed a wide receiver who was open by like twenty or thirty yards, missed the throw by like 10, 15 yards. So if he had money on Texas, that wouldn't have shocked me either. But it it's sad to see and I would hate for people to come back and say, well, if you allow sports gambling in states like this, you're going to start seeing more of this. Sports gambling has been legal for how long in states like Nevada, and you've never had a whiff of it at Nevada or UNLV. It just feels like people are trying to get these Iowa kids off the hook anyway how, but there were a couple of disgusting finishes for that Iowa State team. So if they do, God forbid, get the death penalty, I think it's probably a little bit deserved. Death penalty for the team? Yeah, I mean, the the death penalty is crazy. I I mean, we're still seeing SMU not be be able to to function as a a football program because of it. But, yeah, I mean, this is – betting on your team to lose has to be – I mean, it's got to be way worse than, than paying players. And all the stuff that they, you know, bashed on on USC and in Miami for for all those years. Like, if you want to talk about lack of institutional control, I mean, this is as. Yeah. My question is, how many players like at Iowa or Iowa State have to be involved before they start, you know, looking at coaches and you know, administration? Like, this feels like a program problem more than a couple of kids or like a university problem so but i feel like it would have come out sooner if that were the case. true well i, I mean it seems like these are very thorough investigations and and they're trying to get get, get as much information to charge these guys criminally if if if, if it comes up uh, they're using other people's accounts and really trying to, to make sure that when they do lay down the hammer that they can make as much contact as possible. But yeah, I think Iowa football is despicable. I think that they should be blown up immediately. Figuratively, of course. Um, watch how, how, how I talk about them getting blown up here going forward. Um, but Iowa State would, would make me very sad because they have struggled for so many years trying to put together a functional football program. And now that they finally have some juice and some recent success to, to just be blowing up by the NCAA would be crazy. No bias there from Mr. Shanahan. <laughs> no bias at all. Clear, objective um, analysis for me. Now, we are kind of a Nebraska pro- podcast. I feel like we've gone in the last two episodes hardly talking about Nebraska. And a lot's, yeah, a lot, a lot's changed. Um, and I want to talk today about the quarterback room because I, I think that's been the, the most interesting development I was a big Casey Thompson fan last year for the game that I was a Nebraska fan. I, I And in the same way that I, I hate that Adrian Martinez, I feel like he got gypped for his Husker experience. I kind of oh. feel the same thing for, 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 uh, for, uh, for Casey Thompson. And now he's gone. And so is a couple of other quarterbacks on, uh, on that quarterback room. So, so let me just ask you fellas this once it, it kind of started coming out that these guys were, were entering the transfer portal and and Sims coming in from the transfer portal. Um, what were, were were your guys' thoughts and and instant kind of reaction to all of that? 
I think the writing was on the wall for Casey Thompson. Normally, with the new coaching staff, unless they reached out to him right away saying, hey, we want you to be the guy. When, when you have a new coaching staff come in, they're normally going to want to bring in their own guy. And when Sims was brought in, I right away thought, you know, Casey's either going to leave or he's going to be real upset sitting behind Sims because he was a big part of a 4-8 team, you know, when you look at it. You know, I don't think all of those losses are his fault, but it also did him and Smothers leaving, leave Nebraska with a very thin quarterback room and a bunch of unproven guys, Jacksonville, something like that. Um, I I kind of like, in a sense, that the way that this went down because they all had a chance to compete. It wasn't like they went in knowing it was going to be like, oh, it's Tom Brady's job. Obviously, it's Tom Brady's job. Like, there was no dominant force coming into the season. Um, but I like the fact that the the coaches were up front, like, hey, this guy is obviously playing way better than you are right now. So. This is what we're thinking. If you want to leave to play somewhere else, get another chance, I would do that soon. Which to me makes it seem like the coaches are very player friendly, like you know, being very upfront with them and not you know stringing them along until it's too late for them to go anywhere, and then they're just stuck just because they want a backup quarterback on the roster. Which is yeah. stupid for Nebraska, but good for the players. And I definitely think it's a it's a promising sign that they waited until the spring to to enter the transfer portal. Like it would have been very understandable if if they as soon as uh, Matt Rule was hired or right around that time, if during that time they're like, all right, well, this obviously isn't going to work out for me. I'm out of here. Um, but I think that it says a lot about Matt Rule and the relationships he was able to build with these guys before. They ultimately made that decision like, hey, we're going to give you an opportunity to compete. We're going to bring someone in um, that eventually ended up being Jeff Sims. But we're going to give you an opportunity. And, and you know, if it doesn't work out, we're, we're going to do our best to give you an opportunity to to, to, to play elsewhere. And so I, I think that says a lot about what they think about Matt Rule and this coaching staff. Because, yeah, the, uh, there's a couple of those guys that aren't are too good to be backups like Logan Smothers ending up where he did. And, and same thing with Casey Thompson. He didn't transfer here to be a backup and, you know, Jeff Sims, everything that I've heard about him and we'll get more into him here in a little bit, but it's, it's understandable why he's kind of separated himself as the guy. But I, I do, like I said, I think it's a good thing to kind of see the timeline. And I mean, it was very easy to, to establish early on. This was going to be a crowded quarterback room, but all these guys still wanted to compete which I, I think is very, very exciting that people still want to compete as, as Huskers. My whole thing, too, is you have to remember Casey Thompson was also repairing his shoulder in the spring. So right. it's it's very hard to win a quarterback job when you can't throw. And, again, he saw the writing on the wall. It's it's hard to compete like that when you're, you're hurt. And it's a part of the offensive line being dog shit last year, why he – same reason Martin, Adrian Martinez was always hurt. Like, we can't protect quarterbacks. Hmm. And, you know, fans and media people are starting to wonder now. Jeff Sims at Georgia Tech didn't play, has yet to play a full season and stay healthy. 
but it's also kind of under the same prowess as Georgia Tech couldn't protect him. So if we can keep Sims healthy, I think we have a very good chance to be 500, maybe a little better. But if not, I think you're going to see more of the same because then you're sending in a kid from Carney Catholic who's not played a lick of college football yet or Chubba Purdy who hasn't looked great either. Very inexperienced young kid, but I don't know if your guys' thoughts differ on that. But No, I, I think – I, I, yeah, I think you're really right there with that being, being the primary concern. And I mean, just it's kind of tough to think about because between Casey Thompson, and Adrian Martinez, they were able to play through injuries. Like uh, Adrian Martinez played that whole season with a broken jaw. But yeah, you, you do have to wonder how that heavily impacts your play. And seeing a, a guy like Jeff Sims, who has kind of struggled to, to stay healthy on his own. You know, it, it's certainly a worry, and it does seem like there's a, a pretty big gap between Sims and where these other guys are, are going to be. But uh, a lot of, you know, that's the case for a lot of teams. If your starter goes down and, and you don't have uh, Dwayne Haskins and um, JT Bear right behind them, your team's going to suffer. And, and that's the thing is at Nebraska, we got to get away from asking our quarterbacks play through a ton of injuries like obviously nicks and bruises are going to happen in college football but in no way shape or form should you be asking your quarterback to play through a broken jaw that was crazy when when, when i heard him talk about that on, on his podcast his jaw they couldn't talk to them because his jaw was shown such shut what want to insane mistakes in those games it's like you try playing a college football game with a broken jaw and let me know how that goes for you i mean crazy stuff but so as we, we kind of look forward to, to this year and, and Jeff Sims obviously showing up to, to be the guy, I've heard so many good things about him so far, uh, particularly from Matt Rule. And just talking about how I saw in an interview with NBC where he's talking about how he's triple threat with his arm. His, he'll beat you with his arm. He'll beat you with his legs. He'll beat you with his mind which is so great to, to, to see. And, you know, you kind of wonder in a, in a system in a, with, with the crew around him at, at Georgia tech, if he was kind of hampered by that, but nonetheless, I exciting stuff for, for Jeff Sims. What does a good season look like for him? Of course, he projecting, he, he plays 12 games a year. For me, I think it's got to look, either a two to one or a three to one touchdown to interception ratio, where I think his first two or three years at Georgia tech, he's been about even, I would like to see the interception numbers go down. I mean, those are going to happen, you know, miscommunications and what have you and what have you. But I think the biggest thing for me is the stats for him will come if he stays healthy and if we can block for him and, um, Another underlying issue is if we can get the run game going because it sounds like Rule and Satterfield want to run the ball 25, 30 times a game. But, you know, if we're looking at third and eight, third and nines a lot, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard for him to, you know, move the ball down the field. I think I feel like the old days of run the damn ball at Nebraska are probably gone. 
but we I think we need to be a little bit more balanced where you're using Sims's leg, you're passing the ball, and you're just, you know, using those big guys like Gabe Urban and obviously Anthony Grant's a special talent. I think we just need to be a little bit more balanced more than just run heavy with that shaky offensive line. Yeah, I was going to say I agree with what you're saying, Brooks. Um, but I do think that our running back room is very talented. So if we like relying a little more on the run than we see the pass wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, especially with the way Sims can run the ball. Um, I think if he has five, six hundred yards rushing this year, I think it's going to help him a lot in the passing game. Um, and then getting those running backs involved. Like we have a way better offensive line than we have in a long time with the transfer talent that we got. Um, so yeah, like he said, I would say just very little interceptions, as, as much as you can control. Um, like single digits if possible, that would be a great season. Um, and then five, 600 rushing yards. I think we're going to be looking at him doing some, some damage through the air if we can hold that up. And so, Bookie Brook, let me just ask: If you had to, to kind of set some some over unders with him, where where does that figure start, and what does that look like? Ooh, see, it, there's there's a lot of unknown with how Satterfield wants to use him in the play calling and whatnot. But I think Tyler was pretty close. I would set the over under on rushing yards somewhere in the four hundreds. And if he gets over that, we're going to be in a good spot. But if it's under that, we're probably in trouble. So the passing so, yard is, is hard to say, you know. It's probably in line with a lot of other, you know, six, seven win teams, quarterbacks, 2,000 yards, hopefully, maybe 1,800. I don't know. It just depends on how they want to use them and if we're going to be Dinking and dunking, or we're going to be, you know, forcing the issue a little bit, taking more shots. So I'm going to throw some numbers at, at you guys, and but without knowing how many games he he plays, yeah, a thousand dollars to bet, and I say he's going to throw for two thousand one hundred thirty twenty one. Oh, excuse me, twenty one hundred thirty six yards for the season. Averages about one hundred seventy eight yards per game. Would you take that as is, or would you roll the dice and, and expect him to get more? I would say I would take that. Um, like he, I think the, that we can. It just it's so we don't know what this offense is going to look like. So it's hard to say. I I would take those yards. I wouldn't say he's going to go over that. I would say I would take the yards. So I mean that puts him at. If he if he plays a twelve game season, I like the over there because I think he can get well over two hundred yards a game, and that's you know twenty one hundred would put him at like one seventy five, one eighty. Yeah, I would I would go over there. That's you know obviously if he plays a pretty healthy twelve game schedule. I think so too. I definitely think I would like a little bit more production out of him. Um, than 178 yards per game. But then you also run the risk of, you know, maybe he runs into a Wisconsin freezing game where he can only put up, you know, 120 yards. Of course, he's That's probably going to – you hope that he puts up more in, like, the, the easier games, like the, the Colorado and the Northern Illinois. But 
I I would like a little bit more production out of him. I I think he could do a little bit better. Touchdown well, to intercept. Oh, go ahead. Also, is getting slept on is I feel like our wide receiver room is deeper than normal this year with Billy Kemp from Virginia, Xavier Betts getting rave reviews out of practice, and then if Fedoni can be healthy, you know, six seven. Yeah, and Malachi Coleman too. Is you know Fedoni six seven, and we got some track stars, some guys that you know. You just get the ball in their hands, and they're going to make some stuff happen. So even more reason to like the over there. I think so, too. Touchdown to interception ratio. And these are all averages based on on what he did at at Georgia Tech. So if I told you that he goes 14 passing touchdowns and 11 interceptions, do you want to roll the dice? I would would have to. New system, fresh start. He's older, mature. I would, I would think it would better have to be better than that. Better, better weapons, better too. team around yeah. it. That's that's a tough season. That's a tough season. Yeah, uh, it's, I'll, it, I'll go over there as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I would hope so. And then on the ground, if he gets 600 yards per game, so averages out to about 50 yards per game and five touchdowns throughout the year, do you take that or do you think he can do better? I would be up in arms thinking. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if he did that. I think the touchdowns would be higher, um, rushing touchdowns. But I think I'm, I'm pretty set with the yards. Yeah. Very, very productive. <laughs> if he gets into the. I think so. Very. If he gets into the 100 yard range, then we're, we're in a good spot. And so that kind of goes into my next question and, and just kind of looking at, at the Big Ten and, and the Big Ten West specifically. Can he is should he be the best quarterback in that division? I think if I'm being very honest with myself, I think he'll be third behind um, Mordecai at Wisconsin and McNamara at Iowa. Um, both of those guys can really sling it, and both of those guys probably have a little bit better of O line play. You know, he could slide into the two spot at above McNamara, but I think as it looks right now, Mordecai is going to be the best in the Big Ten West. And especially with Luke Fickle running the show there now, I I anticipate he's going to have a lot of opportunities to look really good early and often. The North Carolina OC who loves to spread the field and throw the ball, he's going to put up some crazy numbers this year, I think. It's going to be really really weird compared to what Wisconsin yeah. normally is. It's going to be fun. For you sports bettors, Wisconsin unders are dead. <laughs> They're dead. Yeah, I and, and, and that's on a, a thing that the next episode will we'll drop after this, but where we talk about how these new coaches are going to do. I, yeah, I think that's... If I had to put one bet on on an over-under, I think that's where I'm going is the Wisconsin over. I think they could very, very easily clear that. Comfortably. Before December, maybe. Well, perfect. Anything else to add? Anything else did we miss? No, I think we touched on all those points. 